glad to be here. Good to be in CWC again this morning. And uh, believe, in, believe in God for, for good things. I, um, I'm taking those out. Um, I can't stand having... I, I took some between services. My, my wife gives me all these things to take, you know, all the time. I, th- I think it's birth control, but I'm not sure. But anyway, whatever it is, um, I, I'm just setting it there for now. Um, because uh, she gives me all this stuff, and I don't know what it is. But uh, it makes, makes her happy, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm submitted to her, as you know. So I'm going to talk to you today about uh, destroying the devil's work. Destroying the devil's work. And um, uh, context is important when you read Scripture. You don't want to take Scripture out of context, do you? You know, the, the, the poor guy who who's looking for direction from the Lord, and he said, I'll just flip my Bible open, and I'll just look on what I see, you know. And whatever I see, that's, that's what I'll take. It's from the Lord. And he, he flips his Bible open, and the first thing he sees is, is Judas went out and hung himself. And he said, well, that can't be from God for me right now. Maybe I try, I try something else. And he, he flips open the Bible, and the next thing he says, go and do thou likewise, you know. And, uh, and, and then he finds, well, I'm not sure that's from God, so he says, I'll do it one more time. And it said, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. And um, so... Um, I, 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 I want you to know that you have to take Scripture in its context. However, having said that, it's important to realize that Scripture in its context also implies that sometimes you can take a scriptural principle from the Scripture that's in context, and you can actually take it out of its context and apply it to other contexts. Let me give you an example. Uh, the prophet went to Asa in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, and uh, he is rebuking Asa. He is saying, King Asa, you've done wrong. And, but in, the, in his speech to the king, he says, For the eyes of the Lord, in 16 and 9, the eyes of the Lord range or look throughout the whole earth, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Well, you can apply that to Asa for sure because the prophet was speaking to Asa, but you can also apply that to to us. The eyes of the Lord are looking throughout the whole earth, seeking to strengthen those of us whose hearts are fully committed to him. Do you know that God wants to strengthen your heart? He wants to strengthen you. Amen. Now listen, we have to make a deal here. This is getting sick. When I I have to amen myself, this is not good, all right? (laughs) All right, so, so, so this here can be applied universally. So it applies to Asa, but we pull it out of context. We're going to do that with a, with a couple other portions today, all right? So here's the scripture, and it's, to, it's from 1 John, and John is encouraging us to know some things about truth, uh, some things about truth, and John talks a lot about truth. And uh, so let's read the scripture together. Now, when I say let's read the scripture together, it's not me trying to read it out loud and you kind of mumbling or just, you know, nodding off. We're actually going to lift our voice as a group and we are going to read it together. Amen. Amen. (laughs) That was nice. That was real nice. All right. So you ready? Let's read it together. It is from 1 John. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Stop. We're going to say that again and again and again, and you're going to preach it, okay? Because this is really the key thing. I want you to remember, all right? Are you ready? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
I hate to go to a church that you're preaching at. Okay, come on, lift up your voice and preach it. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You're making a great attempt. Now, come on, let's lift up our voice. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why did the Son of God appear? Destroy the devil's work. That's why he appeared. Isn't that good news? Yes, Peter. Okay, so come on. Work with me here. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. All right, so let's move on. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the... You're backsliding. Because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now here's the deal. In the middle of this teaching that John is doing, he makes this statement. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. That's the statement he makes. And that's in context. We read some scripture before, we read some scripture after, it applies in the context, but now this also applies in many other contexts. You can't do that with certain scripture. Okay, you can't do that. But with this one, you can. This can apply. This applies to you and to me and to the world around us and the people with whom we live and the people with whom we work and all that. This applies. And so if that's the case, we want to take notice. The reason the Son of Man appeared... The Son of God appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. This is the grand reason why Jesus came. He actually came. And John was arguing with people who didn't believe that Jesus came actually in the flesh. It was called the Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C. The Gnostics. They, they didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They didn't believe that he physically appeared, that he was some ethereal type being, that he was, was kind of like a phantom. And so John is arguing throughout his, 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 his letter here that he is saying, listen, Jesus came and he came physically and he came to destroy the devil's work. And that the devil is what? He is working against Jesus' agenda. He's real. He's real in the world. He's not just a concept. Evil is not just kind of something we kind of made up or man kind of something. No, evil is real and it's typified by a real being who's out to destroy you. He's not necessarily running around with horns and a long red tail. He is, in fact, a spiritual being that is influencing your life and mine and the world all around us. And I find it difficult to believe that people don't believe in evil. I find it difficult to believe that people don't believe in, 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 a, in a real devil when you see some of the devilish things that are happening around us. It's hard to believe that they cannot have at least a theology of the enemy. They may not believe in Jesus, but how can you not have a theology of the devil when you see devilish things happening all around. Well, the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's the reason he came. Now, what's the contrast between why the, why the devil came and why Jesus came? And that's when you go to John chapter 10 and verse number 10. It says what? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So now we're all going to lift up our voice and we're going to get the Jesus agenda. We know the devil's agenda and, and we know what he's trying to do. But now this is going to contrast the devil's agenda with Jesus' agenda. Let's start at the beginning. The thief, that is the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And here's what's really interesting is the devil lies to us and he says what? Man, if you serve Jesus, you're going to get ripped off. Man, you're going to have no more fun. This is going to be terrible. This is awful. And, and, and you, you know, your life is just going to be miserable. And I don't know, you know, if you can really hack this kind of serving Jesus because it's such a big bore. I'm here to tell you that's not Jesus' agenda. Jesus' agenda is to give you life and give it to you to the full. It's the enemy who comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Let me talk about one of my favorite subjects. And let me digress for a second. And I, I didn't say this to the earlier crowd, so you're getting uh, uh, something that they didn't get. But let me talk about one of my favorite subjects. Sex. I'm 60 years old. I've had a lot of sex. I intend to have a lot more. Some of you are going, oh dear Lord, make them stop. My children are here. Amazing. We don't want the church to talk about sex, but we'll listen to it all over the place in every other, every other bit of media that comes our way. Who hates sex? It's not the church. It's not Jesus. It's not God. It's the devil that hates sex. That's why he does everything he can to pervert it. Think of all the things that come by way of the perversion of sexuality. There's abuse. There's pedophilia. There's homosexuality. There's abortion. There's rape. There's molestations. That's the work of the enemy. And you watch anybody who's been victimized by any of those things, and sometimes they're so jaded and so hurt by what's happened that they actually hate which God has blessed. And do you know why he perverts sexuality? Because it has the potential to do what? Give life. It is because my wife and I and to my kids, they would, they would hate to hear this, and I know they won't watch this video so I can say it, and they'd be embarrassed. But if my wife and I hadn't had sex, this is, might be a revelation to some of you, but if we hadn't had sex, we wouldn't have had kids. <laughs> sex has the potential to, 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 to produce life. And so the enemy does anything he can to destroy sexuality. It is not God who is destroying sexuality. It is the enemy who is destroying sexuality. And if you want to talk to your kids about sex, that's one of the things you want to remind them. When God puts a prohibition around sex and says, I want you to do it this way and not that way, he's not doing it because he wants to rip us off. He's doing it because he wants us to be blessed. And I'm blessed with children. I'm blessed with grandchildren. Aren't you glad you came today, huh? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I, I want to get I want to get a witness to what I'm saying now. Come on, somebody, shout. Oh, you're not going to shout. I know you're not. You think you're better than me. I know. But that's the truth. And so when Jesus says, "I've come to give you life," I want to give it to you to the full. It's not Jesus who's ripping us off. It's the enemy. It's the enemy who's trying to destroy. And some of you are going, "Please don't let him go back to that sex word." I'm just telling you, it's the enemy who's trying to rip you off. It's Jesus who comes to give you life. It's the thief who comes only. Listen to what it says. Only. The thief comes only. This is all, the, this is all he does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. I want you to be blessed. This is what the devil does. He kills, he steals, he destroys. 
Whenever you see stealing, whenever you see killing, whenever you see destruction, when you see marriages fall apart, when you see children that have been, that have been abused or molested, when you see families in distress, when you see chaos in the streets, when you see that, that is not a work of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is a work of the enemy. That When you see stealing, when you see um, muggings and, and violence, when you see those things, that is not of God. Never blame God for the things for which the devil is responsible. It's amazing to me, and let me disabuse you of, a, of, a, of, a, of, 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 of something that probably you've all said and I've said and, and, and we ought not to say, when, especially when things are for, clearly from the enemy. People will say, you know, you know that, that's terrible what happened over there. That poor brother, he got, he, he, he got uh, mugged. Or, and I, and I, I, probably, I think I mentioned last time I was here, I was in Los Angeles, 13 months ago, and I, and I was mugged, and, 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 and it, was, it was not fun. And uh, it was not one of my better days. I thought they were going to kill me. I thought, by the way they came at me from the side, I thought I, they were coming at me with a knife, and I was, somebody was holding me from behind, and I was slightly, slightly uh, injured. Uh, they, they, they looked a lot like my in-laws. But anyway, um, um, but it, it, so, so um, I, I, thought they were, I thought they were going to, you know, yeah. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was terrible. But, you know, sometimes we come to people and we say, in the midst of a difficult situation, we'll say, well, God's in control. What kind of a God do you serve that you would impugn his character and say he's responsible for that? That is not God's will. And don't impugn the character of God by saying somehow God was in control of that situation. He was not. He has given mankind, he has given mankind the freedom to make choices. And the choices we make are sometimes clearly not his will. I mean, I could go to, I could go to the men, some men, well, you know, and, and, and pull their beards. Mostly, mostly men in this room have beards. And um, I, I could go to the men in this room and pull your beard. And, and, and then, when, and then you, you look with shock and consternation that I've pulled your beard. And I, and I step, well, God's in control, you know. <laughs> That's just the way it is. All right. And then you, you deck me and lay me out flat. And you, you stand over my, my, my weakened body and, and with bloodied face. And, and, and I look up and say, what is, what's going on? You say, well, God's in control. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's not God's will. So let's stop saying this is... God's will by saying God somehow is in control. When somebody is molested, when marriage falls apart, when there's been violence in the streets, that is not God's will. What is God's will is that his people would serve him wholeheartedly and in prayer, using spiritual weaponry, drive back powers of darkness and speak to powers of darkness and say in the name of Jesus you be driven back and, ex and, and we are to exert and we are to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ over troubled and difficult situations. That's why the prayer movement is so important right now in the United States of America in the days and the weeks and the months ahead that God would move by His Spirit. That's why the children of God must arise. But I digress. Listen to what the Scripture says about another aspect of the devil. And listen to what we can take out of context and apply in a variety of contexts. He says this, You belong to your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Whenever you see murder, friends, that's the work of the enemy. Oh, can I just say one more thing about this when you say God is in control? It's, it's not that God's not sovereign. God is sovereign. 
but he's given me limited ability to determine my own destiny. So I can do things under the banner of his sovereignty. In other words, he is the sovereign of the universe. I can do things, but I, I cannot claim that he's in control of me when I'm doing something that is sinful. Does everybody understand that? And so here's what we have. He says, he is a murderer, that is the enemy, from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How do you know when the devil's lying, when his mouth is moving? He is a liar and he is the father of lies. Now listen to how he lies. He lies to us. Do you know that you've been lied to? How many would admit that you've allowed the devil to lie to you in your lifetime? How many of you would admit that you're lying now by not raising your hand. All right. Because every one of us has been lied to by the devil. We've been lied to by our self-image. We've been lied to by, by the way we've lived our lives. We've been lied to by the, by the intentions of our heart. We've been lied to. He lies to us about ourselves. He actually comes to us and says things about us that are not true about us. And we begin to live our life through the prism of the things that he has spoken over us. He lies to us about ourselves. Can you imagine? He's, he's actually told me that I'm short. He, he lies. When I am in Asia, I am tall. He lies to us and he says things. You are not worthy. You, you're too far gone. You'll never make it. You, you, you don't have what it takes. You're not intelligent. You're not good. Whatever the case may be. And any one of a million lies he, that God doesn't care about you or that your sin doesn't matter. You can go on and sin with impunity. You can do whatever you like. You're your own boss. You're the, you're the master of your own destiny. That is not biblical. That is not God's will. And that is a lie. And the devil is lying to you. Don't believe him. We must line ourselves up with a biblical worldview that comes from God's word. He lies to others about us. Do you know that? He lies to others about us. He'll say things to others. He'll say, look at that Jodry up there. He thinks he's so good. Look at him. Got that goofy red shirt on. Yeah, look at the way he's got his hair. He's not as groovy as us. Groovy is a word from the 1970s, for those of you struggling with that. The context of the word, okay? We don't mean it has a lot of grooves in it. It means I've got my groove on. I'm not even sure what that means, because I was raised as a child of God in a Christian home, and we didn't ever, my mom did not have her groove. But he lies to others about us. It's interesting. You know, you are not... Here's a psychological principle. You are not what you think you are. You are not what others think you are. You are rather what you think others think of you. So here's the thing. I, I, I don't do anything technical. I, I, don't have, I don't have any technical ability. I don't have any mechanical... Uh, 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 my, my, my wife and I are doing something, and finally she'll just say, give it to me. I'll do it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm also dyslexic, so I don't read uh, direct directions very well. Uh, many years ago, we had one of those, those, um, those, those desks that were given to you in a box. You know, they, somebody gave me a desk, but it was in a box. You know, it comes like from Ikea or whatever, and it's in a box. And that's right from the pit of hell. <laughs> and, and so she says, okay, um, just give me a few minutes. I'll... I'll, 
I'll help you get this thing together. It was on a Saturday. I'll help you get this thing together. Okay? So she said, but I've got to do a few things yet, and the kids, and blah, blah, blah. So she's out there in the kitchen, and I'm trying to set this thing up in our, in our bedroom. And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a total lunatic. I'm not a dummy. I can do this. I'm not stupid. She probably thinks I'm stupid, but I can start this. So I get all the stuff out of the box, and then I say, you know, okay, I'm gonna here's all this different stuff. I have it all lined up, all in, and I got all the pieces. And then I read the directions. And it says, before September 1st, do this. And I thought, I, okay. So what they did was they changed the directions somewhere along the line because they changed the product, but they kept the book the same because they knew they were going to do it. And I had this all rationalized in my mind about why before September 1st you do it this way. My problem was this was February. Was this after last September 1st? or Because it didn't have the, didn't have the year. Was this after last September 1st, or was it before next September 1st? And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to do this right, so I, I can't figure out, okay, which, which September 1st are we talking about, the previous year or the year that which is to come? And, and I'm in there, I'm looking at it, I'm going, ah, oh, man, come on. This has got to be, you know, ah. So I, I didn't want to, but I had to. I took the directions out to the kitchen, and she was at the sink where she ought to be. And, um, and I showed her the directions. And I said, so it says here before September 1st, do this. But this is February, and so should we be doing this? Or what, should, you know, which, she said, you big dummy, it's before step one. You are not what you think you are. You are not what others think you are. You are rather what you think others think you are. And right then, that moment, I thought that she thought that I was a dummy, affirmed by what she said to me, and I began to really, really be down on myself because I couldn't read as an adult very well. I drive a tractor on my property. I got these two acres of grass, and I'm driving it, but my, my lawn doesn't look like the other guy's lawns all next door to mine. And while I'm doing my lawn, they probably think I'm a lunatic, and I'm thinking about what they're thinking about me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, they probably think I'm dumb. They probably think I don't know what I'm doing, which would be, in fact, the correct the correct viewpoint i don't know what i'm doing when it comes to mowing lawn and they have these lawns that look like like the, you know the, the the baseball field and and they have you know all the straight lines and all that mine looks more like 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 picasso's it's abstract arch it's stuff all over the place oh i see something back there and i'll go back and 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 and, and then i see bunnies running and anyway so and they're calling 911 so anyway so so it, it's just crazy and 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 so i'm thinking more about what they're thinking of me and i'm projecting on them what they're what i think they're thinking about me and you know what it's really quite egotistical of me because i they're probably not thinking a word about me because they're not even thinking about me they got their own things to think about they don't have to think about the nut next door they've got their own craziness about which to think but he lies to us about ourselves do you know that the enemy lies to to god about us do you know that he goes to god and talks about you and says things about you that are not true you can read about it in job you can see what's happening in the cosmic realm we also know that jesus said to peter peter satan has asked to sift you like wheat when, when, when did that take place it took place in the heavenly realms in the cosmos 
There was a conversation between God and the devil. And Satan asked God to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus says, what? I've prayed for you. Do you know that the devil lies to God about us? And do you know finally that the devil lies to us about God? He says things about God to us that are not true. God doesn't care. Where is God? Why didn't he, why didn't he come through? I, I've recently dealt with a, a family situation where that was the, the complaint of the, of the principals involved. That Where was God? Why didn't he help us? We, we went through this for months and, and, and it just got worse and worse. If God is so good, why did we have... And he's lying to us about God. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, his stealing, his killing, his destroying. Look at some of the pictures on the screen. We'll go through them quickly. You see uh, car accidents. You see police officers being killed. You see people um, in, in, in a stretcher. They're, they're going into the ambulance. You see the, the power of a, of a hurricane. What does it all mean? Just leave that last one on the, on the screen. He steals our stuff, our futures, our potential. He steals our joy, our dignity, our relationships. He kills through traffic accidents, abortions, suicides, drug overdoses, war, and so many other things. He destroys futures and potential. Na- and potential. He destroys our neighborhoods, our nations, our systems of, of operating. Anytime you see these things, these things are not of God. Beloved, listen to me. These things are not of God. Now you say, well, can't God bring good? Out? Yes, he does this all the time. He, he, he brings good out of bad situations. But having said that, they are originally not the will of God. But there are two key things I want to just t- touch on today that are, that, are dis- that, are, that, are, that are from the enemy that are causing us great difficulty. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter uh, 2, and let's read these together. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are from the same family. Who's the one that's making us holy? Jesus. Who are the ones who are being made holy? Us. We're of the same family. Do you know that Jesus and you are in the same family? Thank you. I got one. But it's one more than I had. Do you know that Jesus and you are from the same family? Isn't that good? That's wonderful. Jesus and you are from the same family. But here's here's what really makes it good. You see, I have people in my family who are nuts. Okay, and those are the good ones. All right? And, And you know what? Sometimes I'm embarrassed to say they're in my family. But what does Jesus say? The one who makes so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to have you in his family. Then he goes on to say, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Do you know the de- the devil is holding the power of death? Where did death come from? It came from sin. How did where did sin come from? It came from the devil. And the devil, as as defeated as he is from the cross, still exerts influence here on the planet Earth. And what happens? He has the power over death. But what did Jesus come? He came to free those who were all their lives held in the slavery by the fear by their fear of death. We need to say that together. Free those who were all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, the scripture says, he had to be laid like unto his brothers, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. That's the reason he came. But he came to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil described here? Death, number one. And secondly, there are destroy, he came to destroy the fear of death. 
Now, death is a reality. We're all going to die. I hear people, my wife is a, is a, is a hospice chaplain. She deals with, with people who, who die every day. When you see my wife coming, someone's dying. I know many times she's come my way, and I thought I was dying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right. But we are flesh and blood. Jesus had to become human if he's going to help humans. His agenda in coming was to break the power of the devil by his work on the cross. Why did he come? He came to destroy the works of the devil. What is one of the works of the devil? Fear of death. What is the second work of the devil? Death itself. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now we know that the works of the devil have yet to be destroyed in the area of death. We know people physically die. Everyone in this room is going to physically die unless Jesus comes back soon. I remember years ago, and again, this is not a political comment. It just, it just was, to me, an interesting comment by, by a politician. I believe it was in the 1990s. And Mrs. Clinton was saying, if we don't get universal health care, if we don't get universal health care, she was saying, people are going to die. And to which I responded in my mind, Mrs. Clinton, if people get universal health care and everybody has a doctor in their own house at all times, people are still going to die. It's just a reality. People are going to die. Now, we might die a little later if we have better health care. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying people are going to die. Every one of us is going to die. But the two key things the devil uses to hinder us is what? Death itself and the fear of death. The fear of death. Now, death is a reality, and the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So death is not yet destroyed, according to the scripture. We haven't destroyed death yet. God hasn't allowed death to be put aside. Now, we know that it says in the Revelation, that in the book of Revelation, what John saw, he says, I saw death dying. In other words, death would no longer, no longer have a hold on us in something he sees in the future. But currently, we still deal with the reality of death. And Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9 and 27, people are destined to die once. Aren't you glad for that? You only get to die once. All right? I'd like to try this dying twice thing. Wouldn't that be groovy? Die for a while, then come back and see who your wife took up with. Yeah. <laughs> she wants someone tall next time and thin. We have actually three rules for my funeral for my wife. She's to wear black, look sad, and not bring a date. So we're all going to face death, and death is all around us, but the death is not the end for us. Biblically, we are already into our future life. Now let's look at the scripture that many of you study already, and you know it. Some of you know it from the King James Version, but we read it from the NIV because I believe it tells the story so much better. Listen to it, and let's read it together. Lift up your voices. Come on, everybody, let's preach it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. If you're in Christ, what happens? The new creation has already come. We're already in something new. You do not get eternal life when you die as a believer. If you come to Jesus, the day you come to Jesus, the instant you come to Jesus, you have eternal life now. People say, well, now that they've died, they have eternal life. Listen, now that you're alive in Jesus, you have eternal life. You have eternal life now. Amen. Isn't that good news? You have it now. And here's the, here's the reality. We're already in the new creation. The old is gone. The new is already here for us. It's a brand new thing. 
the newest here, our new life in God's kingdom, not fully here until we get to heaven, has actually begun for us. Now, I can prove to you biblically that you are saved and you're, you're, you're ready to go to heaven. I can prove that to you biblically, but if, that is, if you are saved and ready to go to heaven. And, and, but on the other hand, I can also prove to you biblically that you're not fully saved yet. You see, there's an aspect that I have everything that I can possibly have here and now, but there's also an aspect that I haven't yet got everything I'm going to get and haven't experienced everything I'm going to experience. So here's the deal. Let's illustrate this by mixing up the sheets first. Here is our natural life now. This is where we live. This is where everybody else is living. You're buying the groceries, you're feeding the kids, you're paying your bills, you're, you're, you're doing whatever, you're going to work, you're, you're social distancing, the whole deal. But here's death. And this is where we all are trying to avoid. Mrs. Clinton thought we could somehow avoid it with universal health care. And then here is heaven. The full kingdom which is to come. But here's the thing. I'm just living my life. But I'm knowing that, you know, the clock is ticking by. I'm getting older. I'm heading in this direction. And people will sometimes say, well, if I die. If you die. Who do you think you are? You're going to die. Look at your neighbor and just encourage them. You're going to die. Little cheery word. Now, some of you said it with more glee than others, which I think was a little... And some of you said it like a threat. But every one of us is going to die. And we look at this thing in, a, in, a, in the natural, you know, and, and this, is, this is scary. This is, this is a, a river I don't want to cross. This is a mountain I don't want to ascend. This is, this is something toward, I, toward which I do not look forward. But I'm a child of God. The old is gone. The new creation is already here. And you know what? I've already straddled this. Yeah, I'm going to work, and I'm doing things over here in my natural life. And yes, I'm heading to a physical death, but I'm already begun to live in a brand new kingdom. I've already, I'm already partly over here. I already have eternal life. I already have that which so many who, who, who cower and live in just absolute fear of this, so many who, who are standing here going, I don't want to slip off the abyss. For us, there is no abyss. For us, it's just a, an ability to understand that we're living in a brand new era already. This is a gateway for us. This isn't a fiery, scary scenario. Yes, I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to one day, they're going to lower me into the ground. Oh, but before they do that, oh, it's going to be wonderful when you think of it. You're, you're going to get a hairdo like no other. Oh, yeah, and they're going to stand there, and all your friends are going to come. They're going to look, and they're going to say, doesn't she look good? 
Oh, she looks, she looks 20 years younger. She now looks maybe 85. I mean, and, and they'll say all kinds of things. And then when we're done, you know, I'm the preacher. I'll be the last guy to let you down. And, 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 and we're all done. That was a joke, folks. Work with me. All right. So, um, so I, I let you down into the ground. See, I explain the jokes. It's always better if you have to explain them. All right. So I let you down the ground. So anyhow, so, 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 so then after it's all over, we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll have some food. We'll talk about you some more and how good you looked. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Eat potato salad. Yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. But you're on the other side. And the scripture says we have a great cloud of witnesses. And one of the great cloud of witnesses doing, they're, they're observing. And they're saying, you wouldn't believe how good it is over here. Come on. Come on. You don't know what you're missing. You see, we're already straddled. This thing has no fear for us. But what has the enemy done? He has kept us in the bondage to the fear. He says he's made us a slave to the fear of death. And we live our whole lives like this is never going to happen. We live our whole lives running from this. We live our whole lives saying if we die or if something should happen, something's going to happen, friends. But I say, thank God, I'm already prepared for the something that's going to happen. Why am I prepared? Because I'm already over here. I'm already well beyond it. This, for me, has no terror. Why has it had no terror? Because I'm already living on the other side. I'm already living in total victory. I'm already living with the experience of knowing Jesus. I'm already, I already have the new life in Christ. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is already here for me. Isn't that good news? I already got the new. So here's the deal. Because I'm already in the future kingdom now, I do not need to fear death because I'm already beyond it. The enemy is still trying to use the fear of death to bring us into bondage. He's lying to us to get us to believe that, that what we have here is all there is here. And to, to, to die is the end of you. And you'll just, you know, kind of like worms will just eat you up. Listen to me, friends. This for us is not the end. But the life we have in Christ now already has brought us into our future. I watched my father transition from this life into the next. It was five years ago that we preached his funeral. And it was an amazing experience because in this experience, I, didn't, I wasn't there when he passed away. I lived in the United States. But he, he was diagnosed on June 13th. He died on November 13th, five months to the day from his diagnosis to his death. And when he was diagnosed, dad, dad loved life. He was 86 years old, and he was, he was, you know, he just loved life. Served the Lord ever since he, Jesus saved him when he was about 19 years old. He was, a, he was an alcoholic at 19, and he was instantly delivered from the power of alcohol. He, other, some other things that were in his life took some time and took some sanctification process, but, but alcohol, he instantly delivered by the power of God. Cigarettes took a long time, and he had to ask God to give him a distaste for cigarettes. And one time the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, this will be the last cigarette you ever tasted, and, and ever smoked. And he smoked that last cigarette, and, and, and he smoked that last cigarette. He just had a horrific taste for it. Listen to me, friends. If you ask God to give you a horrific taste for sin, he'll give you a horrific taste for sin. Ask him. Say, God, this sin is un displeasing to you. Would you please give me a dis Would you help me to hate it? 
And that's what God did in my father's life. And so all since he was 19 to he was 86 years old, he served the Lord. And he led his family to serve the Lord and his children, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren to serve the Lord. But he's in the hospital and, at no, June 13th, uh, 2015. And what happens is he's a little down. He's a little discouraged. He loves life. But as my, my children and I arrived and, and, and one of our grandchildren and uh, others arrived and, and they began to buoy his spirit and he began to pick him up some and... Uh, they were, you know, of course, telling him that, that, that this, is, this is the disease with which his life would end. And, and he knew this, but he, his spirit became buoyed. And he was supposed to get out of the hospital on a, on a Friday. But he calls my mother on a Wednesday. He says, I'm coming home as soon as I can. I believe I'm coming tomorrow. And she said, well, well, I thought you weren't coming home to Friday. And he said, well, get the man out. I'm coming. And, um, okay. I know what you're thinking about my mom. You just stop it right now. And so, and so, uh, she, she, she says, she's asking questions, and finally he says, listen, when I come home, when I come home, I am not coming home to home, home on the range. I'm coming home to the hallelujah chorus. I'm coming home excited about serving Jesus. I'm coming home believing that these next, however long I have, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in, in, in the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to enjoy the days I have left. I don't fear death. Hey, friends, I want you to know, this is our opportunity to understand that you do not have to be a slave to the fear of death. You don't have to be a slave to everything that might undermine the possibilities that God has for you. It's amazing. The fear you fear now robs you not only of the thing that you expect to come, but it robs you of your present as well. When I live in fear uh, that something might happen two years from now, five years from now, next week, next month, whatever it is, when I live in fear of that, what, what happens? I not only, I, I, I'm not only living in fear of something that may happen that is negative, but I'm also robbing myself of my present possibilities as I live my life now. Fear destroys you. And so death is not yet fully destroyed. We know we're all going to face it, but we also know that we've already began to live beyond it. Here's the deal. It is, a, it is a demonic combination. Death itself is still a plan of the enemy because of sin that came into the world. It's yet to be destroyed. But the fear of death is a demonic combination. What's the scripture saying? We read it already. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him, that is the devil, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were all their lives held in slavery. You are, can be free from the fear of death. You can be free. Years ago, um, after our first child was born, and um, after uh, my wife went through a terrible time with her health, she had this uh, unique problem that I guess not a lot of women have after, but she just kept losing weight and losing weight and losing weight. And uh, the, late, the weight that she was losing, I felt it was my responsibility to keep it in the family. And so... I, uh, I was able to help her and uh, say, transfer it to me, baby. And so she went to see the doctor, and the doctor said, you have to start eating six meals a day, which is absolutely immoral, as we know. And uh, she would come to bed with banana splits. And this caused serious marital difficulties. Because, again, that is not of God. That's, God is not in control when your wife comes to bed with a banana split and you're eating something the size of the communion element we just ate earlier. And about the same flavor. But she also allowed and had an experience where fear came into her life. 
and it was horrible. We had a friend who died whose husband was eventually charged with her murder. We were prosecution witnesses in that situation, only to find out six years after he went to penitentiary that he actually uh, was not guilty. He was innocent, and there was no murder at all. It was a horrible accident. So it was all these things going on in our lives, and fear came in. And in one particular place in our home, it was a, it was a horrible place. It was a terrible place. And this place in our home, uh, when I say that, it was just because it was kind of dark and dingy, and that's where the washer and the dryer were, and she had to go down there and, you know, and get the clothes and all that. And, it just, and she says, especially when she would just feel fear. She would feel fear when she'd go down there. And, and I remember at night, she would wake, she would wake, and she would be stirring, and she'd be sighing. And I don't know what it is about somebody sighing in the middle of the night when they're laying beside you. It sounds like they're with, with a bullhorn, you know, when somebody... It really sounds loud, doesn't it? And it shouldn't be allowed. There should be a rule against it. There should be criminal charges. But she would do this, and then she'd turn and toss, and, and you know, I would finally kind of let one eye open, and when I did, I would find that her two eyes were about two inches from my face. And she'd have this demonic grin on her face. And she was sometimes crying. And she would say to me, you don't care. Well, she had a point. Because I'm not, I don't do well waking up in the middle of the night. As a result of somebody sighing through a megaphone with their eyes two, two inches from my eyes. And she would talk to me about the children dying. And she lived in fear that our children were going to die. And I remember when she used to say, what are we going to do if the children die? She said that several times. And I remember one night in particular, I held her. And she said, what are we going to do if the children die? And finally, I just spoke back to her and I said, we're going to do what any parent would do. We're going to weep and we're going to cry. And we're going to grieve. And we're going to put their little body in a little casket and we're going to have a little service. And we're going to weep and we're going to cry and we're going to put their little body into the ground. We're going to cover up that ground and we're going to weep and we're going to cry and we'll grieve. Do you know what we're also going to do? We're going to serve Jesus. And we're not going to fear. We're going to serve Jesus. And we're going to give him the rest of our lives. And I remember the day I came home and she was buoyant and upbeat and asked her what was going on. And she went down into the area in our house where the washer and the dryer were. And she said, I felt that just overwhelming sense of fear and evil. And she said, I stood in that, that little room and I looked at the four, four corners of that room and I said, Devil, you take your filthy hands off of my life. I do not fear you. You will not bring bondage into my life. You go in the name of Jesus. And then she looked at the other corner and she said, You go in Jesus' name. She looked at the four corners of that room and she began to command the enemy to go. She would not live with the fear of death in her life. And instantly that day, Jesus came into that room and he delivered her from the power of the fear of death. And the psalmist writes what? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. 
I fear no evil. Back in 2011, I was going through a difficult crisis. And in going through this crisis, I began to have panic attacks. And panic attacks replicate as heart attacks. And so I went to the hospital a few times. I had the heart calves. I had all that stuff. Took my gallbladder out. That didn't help. Three weeks later, I went and tried to get it back, but they didn't have it. They said they sold it to somebody in China. It's now on the internet. You can bid on it. And, and I began to fear death. I didn't think of death once in a while. I didn't think of death once a day. I thought of death was my, was my default thought through the whole day. If I wasn't thinking of that, I was thinking about death. It's all I thought about. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 talks about the great curses. It says at night when you go to bed, you'll pray that you'll reach morning. And when you get up in the morning, you'll pray that you'll be able to go to bed that night. And that's how I lived my life. I prayed at night. If I could just make it to morning, I'll be happy. And when I get up in the morning and that those thoughts of death would flood my life, I would, I would say, oh, if I can just get to sleep again so I could be free of these horrible thoughts of death. Somebody called me, Dr. Benson called me, he said, are, are you suicidal? And I said, no, I'm not suicidal. I want to live. I want to live. But I fear death. And the fact is, I am going to die. But I was living in fear of that, which God has already given me the ability to transcend. Here's what we know. Jesus came not only to destroy physical death itself, which is not fully destroyed at this time, but he came to deliver us from the fear of death. He arose from the dead. Death comes through a man, the scripture says, but the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, also through a man. For in Adam all who die, but in Christ, I'm in Christ, I live. You can't kill me. You can't hold me down. Just as the, the grave could not hold Jesus down, the grave will not hold you down. You already transcend it. You already are living in the new kingdom. You're stepping over it in victory. Here's what the scripture says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I skipped ahead a little bit, folks. Sorry about that in the, in the audio visual. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What's the key here? He loves us so much that I'm a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. I don't live in fear. What's the scripture say? For I am convinced that neither what? Death or life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You want to know how to face death? Understand how much God loves you. Love is the antidote to fear. What's it say about love and fear? Perfect love casts out fear. God loves you so much. He cares about you. And that care gives you the ability to face that which you've already begun to transcend. Now all over this room, there are people 
who are dealing with thoughts of suicide. There are people in this room who are dealing with the regret of somebody in your life who's passed. There's some people in this room, you're, you're, you, you can relate to how my wife felt. You're fearing some death experience. There are people in this room who just are anxiety, just filled with anxiety all the time about some catastrophe that's about to befall you. One of the things I found is, is this is not age-related. You'd think, well, older people would have the fear of death and younger people, you know, live like... I've dealt with people in their late teens fearing death. Is that from heaven? No, in all things, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I don't fear this. Let's get our theology right. Let's understand that we're already well beyond this. I'm not going to be a slave to the fear of death. What's the song we sometimes sing? I'm no longer slave to sin. It's a sin to fear death. I am what? A child of God. I'm a child of God. As children of the Most High God, I speak to you and I say in the name of Jesus, death has no hold on you. As a child of God, I speak to other children of God and I say with the authority of God's Word, you are not a slave. You are perfectly free to face your future. Some of you are too young to to remember this reference. But old Bill Gaither wrote, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, what? All fear is gone. Because I know who holds my future. My life is worth the living just because he lives. It's because Jesus is alive that you don't fear. You're not a slave. I speak over you right now and I speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're free. I prophetically speak over your life and I say that which has kept you ensnared to fear is broken in the name of Jesus. If, if, if this resonates in you, begin to receive it now. I speak over your life and I say, and I break its power over you. You are not to live in fear. You're not a slave. You're free. As your heads are bowed. I want to pray for you. Friends, when I was going through this experience almost 10 years ago now, I'd go to conferences and things and, or whatever because I was a pastor. So I'd go to conferences and no matter what they called for, if they called for prayer, no matter what they called for, I responded. I, they, they said, listen, we want to pray for African-American women who are trying to conceive a child. I'd go to the front. Because, you know, I just, I just, I, I had, I had to get free of this thing. I had to break free of this thing. And Jesus set me free. How many of you would admit to me today? We had everybody just, just keep this between me and, and the audience. So if you just would bow your head with me, how many of you would raise your hand with mine and say, "I'm struggling in these some of the areas about which you spoke this morning, all over this room." 
Amen. All over this room, all over this room. Young and old, all over this room. I'm struggling in some of the areas. And I need Jesus to come and succor my spirit with the truth. And I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now, if you do one more thing for me, and I think it would help you, if you'd be willing just to stand where you are so I can pray for you. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's condemning you. I'm not condemning you. Because again, I've been there. All over this room, people are standing. And I'm about to speak into the powers of darkness over your life. And I'm about to declare in the name of Jesus, the fear of death is broken. Come on, somebody. In the name of Jesus, the fear of death is broken. Come on, somebody begin to agree with me in the spirit now. And the fear of death is broken in the name of Jesus. The fear of death is broken. It breaks now. Be released from the fear of death. Come on, thank him for it even now as I pray. Thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that you're breaking me from the fear of death. I am not a slave. I am a child of the king. I am free from the dear fear of death. I've already passed from death to life. I have transcended death. I'm already into the new kingdom. So in the name of Jesus, now be free. Be free in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, audience, stand with me. And it's time for us to rejoice that we're free. We're not slaves any longer. Come on, the audience, stand with me. In the name of Jesus, we're no longer we're no longer slaves to the fear of death. We are free from this thing. Lift up holy hands all over this place and begin to worship the Lord and begin to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm free. I'm free from the fear of death. I'm free. I, I thank you that death has no hold on me all over this place. Come on, lift up your voices now. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, I'm free. I'm free. Victory in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on. You're not free. You're, you're not a slave any longer. You are free. In Jesus' name. Victory. You're more alive than you ever could be. I don't care if you're sick in your body. I don't care if there's difficulties in your mind and in your psyche. You're more free than you ever could be because whoever is in Christ new creation has already come the old is gone the new is already here you're already living in the new kingdom jesus name victory in jesus come on victory in jesus come on lift up your voice with me victory in jesus come on victory in jesus one two three victory in jesus come on we'll do it one more time one two three victory in jesus you have victory today in the mighty name of jesus Walk in the freedom of the fear of death. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God.